it's very hard to be one person better every single day but the idea is that if you have smaller changes then eventually you grow quite a lot so i would really advise to just not give up the most important thing that i learned from my previous experience in this journey was being able to embrace failure and understanding that failure is not a bad thing mostly awesome a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators brought to you by CDTM in Munich Welcome back to Mostly Awesome. Let us start with some numbers today. Up to 50% of people who order clothing online send their orders back. As you can imagine, this is not only a problem for fashion brands, but also for the environment. A Munich-based startup called Precise is tackling this problem exactly. Leveraging the power of artificial intelligence, Precise provides a software solution to accurately measure your body to help you get the right size of clothing and reduce fashion returns. And today, we are excited to talk to one of the founders and chief product officer at Precise, Aves Shafiq. Growing up in Pakistan and seeing his parents trying to make ends meet, Aves decided early on that he wanted to help his family out of the poverty circle. As a hardworking student in 2012, Aves went to the best university in Pakistan. National University of Science and Technology to study electrical engineering. That was exactly what his parents wanted for him, to get a decent education and a good job. But very soon Aves realized that he didn't want to be just another electrical engineer. Instead, he wanted his work to have an impact, which is why he founded Tame, a medtech company that produced wearable devices that detected pathological tremors. Together with his team, Aves went to Stanford and won the competition for the best medical innovation. And that was a moment he realized that with hard work and passion, a kid from a developing country just like himself could be as good and as successful as the best brains in the world. After finishing his bachelor's, Aves came to Germany to study biomedical computing at Technical University in Munich. As he was already very passionate about entrepreneurship at the time, Aves joined the Center for Digital Technologies and Management. And after just one year, he founded Precise with two other center links, Leon and Tomislav. Curious to hear about what we discussed with Aves? Let's get a quick overview from Maria. We have split the content of this episode in three blocks. We asked Aves some questions about his early career. He tells about challenges he faced while founding in Germany and he highlights the cultural and family context around those times. We also discuss the startup ecosystem in Pakistan and how it grew exponentially over the last years. Moving on, we find out more about a way startup called Precise and his role as a chief product officer, which certainly changed and evolved together with the company. In our third block, we are delving deeper into the topic of mental health and discuss Aves' personal journey. We talk about what keeps him personally going and what he, or actually any leader, can do to support employees' mental health. And we wrap it up with an advice Aves could give to someone who is now starting a challenging journey towards entrepreneurship like himself. And as an add-on, we ask questions about the toolbox, where Aves reveals his favorite book, app, podcast, routine and innovator. So let's jump right into it. Enjoy our chat with Aves Shafiq. Welcome, Aves. 
We're really happy to have you here today. Hi, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks for the invite. Let's jump right in. So our first question is about some of the challenges that you faced in your journey towards entrepreneurship. You've been quite vocal and open about some of those challenges. And one of them is this mindset of people like us don't found companies that also your family held. Where do you think that such perceptions come from? What is the root of these perceptions? And what do you think needs to be done to combat them or to make sure that they don't continue growing? Mm -hmm. I think the underlying problem is, is really exposure. People are afraid of what they don't understand, right? So in my personal experience, for example, my parents came from a let's say, a bubble where they had to struggle quite a lot and they didn't have exposure to this. And in their mindset, what they thought was, okay, I have gone to this nice university because I work fairly hard and I got to this job because I work fairly hard and my son is going to be working in the same place uh, like me as well. And for them, the only way to live life and only way to make money was in this lane or in this bubble, right? They haven't seen anyone around them. They haven't seen anyone uh, like make it on their own in this direction in entrepreneurship. And I think uh, like for them, when I when I went down this road, I was sort of like rebellious. I really had to kind of make a case that I want to go in this direction. But I think they were not wrong. They were they were doing the best from what they knew. They were trying to be protective of me, obviously. And I think the only way to change this perception is to probably inform them and teach them about it. And I think when they when they really see ha this happening around them, and like, for example, in Pakistan, when they see this happening to, I don't know, their friends, their family, and someone looks probably at me, and they think, okay, now Avast is done, so we can also do it. And when really the capital is there in Pakistan, for example, that people are able to start companies, and there's enough money to do, there's the infrastructure, then I think this will probably change. Yeah, so it's, it's it comes down to really exposure and education of, of sort of our older generation, because I think like the culture that I come from, a family is very closely knit and it's a very important part of your life. And out of curiosity, what are your family's perceptions now about people like you? What can they do now, <laughs> now that you've done it? <laughs> it was a funny story. Like my uh, dad actually called me one day and said, hey, someone that I know is a very senior computer vision engineer. And he read about you somewhere. And he came up to me and said that your son is doing something really great. And then my dad was like, oh, then I realized that you're doing something good. And then he started taking me seriously. So, yeah, now I think I've earned their trust. Yeah, that's great to hear. And it's also interesting how such perception changes. We also know that your home country, Pakistan, and its neighbors, India and Bangladesh, these countries often suffer from the problem of brain drain, meaning the migration of talented people and high performers to richer and more stable Western democracies. And in some capacity, all three of us here in this interview are contributing to this problem for our own home countries. Is it something that bothers you or is it something that you're thinking about? Actually, no, it doesn't. And the reason is that it would bother me if there's a brain drain that doesn't really return or doesn't contribute back to the society. I mean, like you have to understand why this brain drain is happening, right? It's we're like a developing country in Pakistan. There's not a lot of resource and like I shared, not a lot of exposure to uh, to get these opportunities. So somehow if people are 
smart people are going abroad and they are getting a better education, better experiences, better network. But the important thing is that they 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 understand where they come from and they should have this idea of, of that they would want to give back to the society or community, right? If that's happening, then I don't have a problem with the brain drain because I want people to get out, learn from the best people, generate a network and come back, right? Or maybe don't even come back, stay there, but somehow contribute to the society. And this is really happening at the moment in Pakistan. For India, I think it, it was happening for a while. But this year was crazy for Pakistan in terms of the amount of money that was flowing in because it's an emerging market at the moment. And I was really interested in why is this happening? Why now? Right. And I looked at all of the companies that were funded and all of the founders and the profiles for them. And actually all of them have studied abroad. So all of them built their network abroad, gained experiences, I don't know, studied in Stanford, Berkeley, the best business schools, build their careers there. But now they have this idea that this marketing is emerging and now we want to build or create jobs there. So essentially, this makes me really happy to see and somehow I want to contribute to that. So I encourage Brain Drain, but if you then are also contributing back to the society. Mm -hmm. Do you ever think about going back to Pakistan and founding there? And the reason I ask this is because we read this article where recently like TechCrunch published the statistics that fundraising by startups from Pakistan have increased 15x from 2016 to 2021. So things seem to be improving in that regard. So does that contribute to you rethinking your decisions maybe of coming to Germany and maybe at some point moving back and founding there? Before I answer your question directly, I want to answer about <laughs> how I plan my life. I used to be the sort of person who plans quite a lot, like meticulously, but it was never in my plans, in my wireless dreams that I would come to Germany and found a company here. And that experience made me change my perception of life. Like I will plan on a short term, but then I will take the opportunities that come my way. So I don't really think or don't really plan like, oh, I don't want to live in Germany for the rest of my life or I want to move back to Pakistan, whatever. I absolutely cannot because maybe there are circumstances that change and that's a problem for later. But I'm, I don't regret coming here. And I think, like I said earlier in my answer, like brain drain is good if you can come get back. Because I think the experiences that I've had here, I couldn't have had anywhere else. And it was meant to be in the way that I think about life. So I will definitely contribute and get back to the society, but maybe living here because I think the quality of life still is way better in Germany. And I think, I mean, we live in an internet world, so you can still run a company staying in Germany. But I... I have reached out to a lot of founders in Pakistan because I want to help them and I want to consult them with whatever I've learned and share my knowledge with them. So this is something that I'm looking forward towards, like finding time to actually help other founders there. You also mentioned that you never plan. So before you actually planned for the future, but now you don't plan. And so you didn't plan also to start a company. But when was this pivotal moment when you kind of said, okay, now I forget about all my long-term plans and now I start this company. Actually, founding a company was in a sort of my plan, but it wasn't like, hey, I will do it in the next year, next three to five years. But generally, like when I come to Germany, I want to learn about medicine and then eventually found a company whenever the opportunity arises, right? And I wasn't sure it would happen so fast and I'm really glad that it did. But the perspective that I have in life, like really with every single experience that I've had, it never really hurts to take the opportunity 
or just jump in. So for me, I really analyzed what would be a good startup for me. And I knew what would make it successful because I had experiences, my previous experience. And when these requirements were met for me in my mind, and I thought, okay, this is a good opportunity. My basic needs are met. I'm able to survive. I'm not going to die. I have a roof over my head. I will jump into it. And I think that's how it started. In our surroundings right now, there are more and more students who are thinking about starting their company. Mm -hmm. And we see especially more hurdles for those who are coming from non-European countries. And we couldn't think of a more suitable person to ask about this than you. Could you tell us about your personal experience with founding far away from home? When I was founding Precise, I could have founded at a later stage or an earlier stage as well. But for me, founding it at a student stage, I think, helped, but also was difficult for me as well in, in many uh, different ways. For example, coming here to Germany, firstly, it was extremely hard because you had to show like, I don't know, 16,000 euros or something in your bank account. And all the saving that I had was really like 200 euros. Like, and that's this, the family saving that we had. So there was no way that I could actually come here. So I had to take out loans from people that I knew and I somehow came here, right? I was a student and I wanted to found a company. So first I had to really pay back those loans to be able to then start another extremely risky venture, right? As a student, I mean, the thing is that uh, Germany is a great place to be a founder. The economy is really strong, but there's a lot of problems coming from Pakistan. So for example, we were we were trying to open a bank account and every bank was rejecting us because uh, they would call up Leon, my CEO, and they would say, hey, there's a majority shareholder who's actually from Pakistan. Are you sure you want to open a bank with us, a bank account? And uh, it was, it was kind of hard. So we couldn't open a bank account, but we somehow actually then did it. I was not able to be an uh, MD. I'm still not an MD. I'm managing director of Precise, even though I'm like one of the founders, just because you need to be German and the German society kind of works on this visa concept for for immigrants in a way. And I was on a student visa, so I had limited amount when I could work in order to found, in order to actually fund ourselves. Initially, I had to, we had to apply for Exist, which I couldn't have done without Leon and Tommy because they speak German and I couldn't have found it without them. So that's extremely hard to do. And on Exist with a student visa, I, for the first year of our company, even though we had money, like funded from a VC, but also exist, I was still living on a student salary just because of the visa that I had. So we had to really take a lot of, like, there was a lot of shit that we had to deal with when starting a company here. But yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we have to deal with, right? And was it something that was really hard to go through or you took it as a joke or proceed with just positive mindset over these hurdles? Yeah, I mean, the thing is you can take it as a joke only to an extent, right? I mean, we we were trying really hard. So I was definitely in a funny situation, but uh, obviously at some points it was also getting hard because we wanted to found the company. And if there was no bank account, we, we had the money. Initially we raised a couple of hundred thousand euros and it was insane amount of money for me. And I was like, okay, we have enough money you want to put it in your bank account. Let us put the money in your account. Like that's just, just give us a place and you're not able to do that. That's it frustrating. Actually, also we hired a couple of people in Pakistan and uh, we were, <laughs> so we were sending this freelancer money, like his salary at the end of the month. And uh, Leon got a call from the bank. And yeah, the bank was like, hey, are you sure you want to send money to Pakistan? <laughs> <laughs> Because it's a, it's a, a, 
yeah it's like a, you know like a very sensitive country you know like we're like what the hell man like we it's we have proof that this person is working yeah so i mean obviously it got hard uh, at some times i wasn't able to found a company in pakistan i think even with these difficulties i think the situation was still a uh, better here in germany so i'm really really glad that i came here again and i think i'm not shitting on germany but generally like i'm very thankful for the opportunities that i got here how does your uh, personal journey those experiences that cultural background how has that influenced your leadership approach at precise yeah that's a very good question i mean we we think a lot about what are our leadership principles let's say what do we really focus on want to align as founders on that and uh, i try to work very closely with the with the people that i manage and i'll try to maybe source my answer from the feedback that i've gotten from them and actually i've learned from them that i'm i'm compassionate i've had a long journey where i've suppressed my emotions for a very long time but now i'm let's say in touch with them and I'm able to understand what someone is feeling and where they're really coming from but um also take action on it and not just be a good listener but take action on it and for me that's being compassionate and I've had a long journey with understanding like okay what makes me happy and what stresses me out and all of that stuff and this has really helped me be a leader who focuses on on uh, sort of helping others find happiness as well what would make someone who's working in my team happy what would make them content what would help them grow and that's something that i really focus on in practice as well that i have sort of the personality where i take ownership and responsibility and i delegate this to to others as well and i don't like to micromanage because i don't like to be micromanaged so it's a lot about trust and something that i'm really a fan of is this open feedback i allow an intern or a working student tell me that hey avas this product strategy is wrong and i would listen to you um uh, and i would allow you to to discuss that with me rather than just rejecting and say hey i'm the cpo or whatever i know more than you so i think these are some of the things that are or some of the qualities that i've developed over my different experiences and i i like to practice them as a leader but again it was just like really sourced from the recent feedbacks that i had with my team great i think those are the qualities that you would naturally look for in a good leader so it's great that you've gotten that feedback to stay with the topic a bit i saw that your co-founder leon has recently shared a story on linkedin about the about your struggle to bring talent from egypt to germany uh, i think it was one of your developers and that story became viral and it made all the way to the eu parliament i mean obviously you're not the first company who has faced this issue but you are one of the few companies who have spoken up about it and it got this great help to make this process easier for getting talent from across the world the thing is that if no one really talks about it it doesn't really get addressed so our purpose for of for this was not uh, just for let's say employer branding but also to focus on a, on a, on a genuine issue because one of our core values at precise is to find the best person for the job period no matter what their background is what their ethnicity gender culture whatever we don't care about that we want to find the best person for that job in that case it was mo who was from egypt and obviously we didn't want to reject him because he was not going to be here and the struggle that we faced so far like a lot of people like you said face it as well and i think the purpose for us to talk about it publicly was really that someone picks it up and addresses it because this will also help the economy that's the thing right you get the best people building the best technology within germany 
you cannot jump to a next step and directly talk with the policymakers or whatever, they would, won't even care about it probably. So it's really important to publicly address this and talk to the people who are making these changes, I think, right? Yes, exactly. I think raising awareness about this issue is the first very important step. And you as founders are in the position to get the public attention and then with that, get the attention of the policymakers as well. Now, we want to hear more about your personal journey with Precise. So with that, let's move on to our next block. All right, Aweis, let's talk about your current role at Precise as founder, or more so as a chief product officer. Having a strong technical background, you took up a CPO role. So we were wondering, why did you find this role more suitable to your skill set than, let's say, chief technology officer? If you allow me, I would like to take some time to really discuss this in detail because this is like a hard discussion that you have to have as a founding team because initially there are no roles and at some point in the company you have to find these roles, right? I will describe what my role as CPO really is, what do I really do, and then maybe I'll talk about like how did I transition into it. So as a CPO, I'm responsible for product development creating a roadmap, prioritization of what to build, right? I have to monitor the performance of the product. I am responsible for customer integrations because we're a B2B to C. So how it looks like, how the customers interact, users interact with it, right? So this is sort of like my responsibility currently as a CPO, Chief Product Officer, but obviously as a founder, you have to do everything, right? You have measured hundreds of people with my own hands, learned how to become a tailor, my background was was very technical, as you uh, you mentioned as well. But I had this experience founding a company where I was very focused on product as well. And through CDTM, I also had the opportunity to learn quite a lot about product management just by working with different sorts of experienced people, right? So for me, in the company, it wasn't really never about the position. And I started off building the tech initially with Tommy, but Tommy was clearly in my mind also the CTO because I had a very niche knowledge set. I was very focused on deep learning and he had breadth of knowledge where he also understood, let's say, how to scale the technology, how to build microservices, whatever. So he knew all of that. So he was in my mind, a clear CTO. To be honest, the thought did occur in my mind, like, oh shit, I have to now find a role in my company. Otherwise I don't have a C title, right? But I didn't pay too much attention to it. And I was willing to work under, under Tommy as well. And I built the technology with him. But that was my initial plan. And then we, the plan was to hire a product manager to, to deal with the product. But early on in, in the company, we found out that you could relate every euro that Precise made with the usage of the product. So it was very important uh, for us that one of the founders took up that role as well, right? And you can directly relate the performance of the product with the revenue. So if someone is running the business, someone is building the technology, then someone needs to understand and optimize the product as well. I was very happy that my, my co-founders trusted me with the role and gave me the opportunity to really play around in that domain. And I think one of my strengths was I have this mindset of quick and dirty prototyping. And I think one of my qualities, how I even started Precise and I started my other company was also that I love solving problems. So this was a very, very nice position for me because I could solve the problem for the customer. I could solve the problem for the user by working closely with them and I could implement a vision that I have of the product. And then because I have this technical role, I understood how the technology is built. I could build on top of that and improve the product. So this really helps me kind of connect 
the underlying base of the technology with what the user is able to see. So I think having this technical background and going into product management, I think was very, very nice. And I, since I had to do it from scratch, there was no one in the product team initially when I started. I absolutely enjoyed going through the whole cycle myself, understanding and learning about each part of the product and then building a team on top of it. And I absolutely, absolutely love it at the moment. Okay, but why the long answer, right? I want to come to a conclusion where I want to say that my advice to aspiring founders would be not to focus on the title itself because these titles are really meaningless. I could have been pissed that I'm not a managing director, but it doesn't really matter as long as the company is moving forward. You should have the mindset that what would make the company successful, right? You should contribute exactly there. And I think you should have to let go of your ego that, oh, why should I work under another co-founder, right? Don't be afraid of being replaced, right? You have to find the best people to make it successful because you own the majority portion of the company. And if it becomes successful, you're earning the most actually out of it. And I think what I learned was really trusting each other, right? I mean, I think if at that point, Tommy and Leon would have just said, hey, we will hire a product manager, I think it would have turned out very differently. And I, I am very thankful to them that they gave me the opportunity to be a product manager. And I found this new career that I could go into. So when you're doing technical role, there are clearly defined results. So you can say, okay, this is outcome success and this outcome yeah. is not a success. How does success look like for you with precise and what needs to happen for you to feel that you've done your job very well? Okay. Yeah. So for precise, we also have KPIs, right? I mean, that we monitor on a, on a regular basis that are sort of these conventional metrics of success. One of them is obviously the revenue, right? I mean, how much money are you making? But if you look on a product level or a technical, we try to measure them in a very, very detailed manner and use this very common framework called OKRs, right? Objective and key result. So we, we set aside these for every three months. We set aside what would success look like for pre-size, right? For these three months. And we try to try to do whatever work that is aligned to be able to reach these goals, right? So these are very short-term goals, I would say. But if you're asking me what uh, success looks like for pre-size on the longer term for me, that would be that we are solving a problem at real scale. By that, I mean that everyone that I know is using pre-size. I go on the street, there's someone turning around in front of their camera. I go in the U-Bahn, someone is using pre-size, right? So really making it the standard, the standard way of shopping online, where people feel that, hey, I cannot buy clothes online without pre-size. So this would be real success for me. And when, when shops don't produce uh, clothing that is general, right? Because right now shops produce clothing and then it's your job as a user or consumer to change your body to fit into these clothes, right? I would like to change it with pre-size, giving the information to the shops that, hey, your real demographic looks like XYZ, right? And then design clothes for that, for that season. And for that to happen, we have to kind of expand on what we're doing right now, which is just sizing, where it's sort of like a dumb sizing recommendation system where I say, hey, Maria, buy small, right? But I want to make it feel like a more like a personal assistant where you can really you know, communicate with it and it becomes more than a than a sizing solution, but 
also tells you about your fit, how it fits on your body. It's a stylist for you. It helps you visualize this product on your body. So this, all of this really needs to happen for this crazy sort of adoption for, for pre-size. And for me, success would really be that we're solving this this financial problem for the for the customers, this time and size and fit problem for the users, and then really, really helping the environment at scale. So this would be real success for me. Wow. So you're really trying to reverse the game in some sense. Yeah, that's sort of the vision for us. Looking forward to see you get closer and closer to your vision at Presize. Now we can move from the company success to your personal success and dive into those topics in our next block. So Aves, what was your initial motivation or this drive that helped you get to this point in your career where you are right now? You already mentioned that solving problems really excited you, but was there something else that really motivated you and gave you this fire to get to the success that you right now have as a founder? My initial motivation was was money, to be honest. Very, very honest. And the reason is that I've seen my my dad work a lot, right? My dad used to work in a farm and you're you're really struggling to to make ends meet that's what what he was doing from that he came out and he went to the best university in pakistan on on a, on a scholarship called gold medal but then joined this organization for the government where he struggled really hard and for him the dreams were to get a stable job or whatever right the idea was that we struggled financially but my parents really hit it really well so i was content for for my whole life right at whatever stage i was at uh, what like whatever we had, I was really happy with that. But sort of the depression started really when I understood, okay, how are they actually making ends meet, right? How are they really struggling? Like my dad worked 25 years. He was the best student in his university, got the gold medal, worked 25 years in this organization. And almost towards the end of his career, he has like 200 euros in his bank account as savings, right? So that was really like... Uh, shocking for me. I mean, it's not always about the money, but like, if you really think about it, why is this happening? In Pakistan, in the society that we live in, there's this social or this economic barrier. There's different levels of how well you're off. And it was extremely hard to break that. You take loans from somewhere, you make ends meet, you have the bare minimum salary, and then you're just in this cycle. You're month, you're living month to month or whatever. And that was really hard, really hard to see. And my dad wanted me to go in the same direction, like on the same path, right? He was like, okay, you're you're graduating from a nice university and this is where you would go. And for me, it was shocking. Like, how are you able to survive at this? And how did you raise a family? That was massive respect for you. But I have to do something to break the cycle. And I cannot do it in Pakistan with the conventional ways. So my my motivation was money to help my family break the cycle and get a better life for my parents, for my for my siblings. But this very quickly changed. The thing is like, if you come from nothing, then it, it takes nothing to really satisfy you. <laughs> like when I came here, you have to think about like, I came here on loan, right? I was in debt when I came here like four years ago. And I had to work really hard to actually get to a level where I was net positive. And when I was net positive, I was like, oh, I'm living the life. I was living on a student salary in a small dorm room, but I have my own room and I'm making enough money to save something 
buy luxury, like buy a phone or whatever, and still send some money home. So that was the bare minimum for me. I was like, okay, I have really made it. So I was content. And that very quickly switched. So my basic needs were being met. And then I really started thinking about, okay, what is it really that I want to do in life? And why was I going for entrepreneurship? Were there any other reasons? And that sort of led me to this journey of becoming an entrepreneur and thinking about why I want to be a founder. And like you said, when you come from nothing or you come from a family that doesn't have as much as people around you, then it's harder to focus on the impact of what you're doing and their bigger things that you need to worry about in the moment. Do you think that people in general are capable of focusing on having an impact when they come from these underprivileged backgrounds? Or do you think that other needs and motivations, such as earning money, for example, always take over? That is a very good question. I think you cannot generalize them. It's very subjective for everyone. I, li I like to quote this, this thing quite a lot, something called the Maslow's Pyramid of Needs or hierarchy of needs, right? It's basic needs at the very bottom, like clothing, shelter, and all of that stuff. Safety needs on top of that, that you feel secure. And then comes respect and comes esteem. And then really comes the self-actualization where you want to have this impact. You want to do something great for the world, right? But if the base is not there, right? If you don't have enough money to survive, how are you going to think about impact, right? You're probably not thinking, right? And if you are, then you're probably lying to yourself and you're doing it for the other reasons. Um, so I like to think that every single human being has a different threshold of what they consider this level to be, right? So for me, I think that the threshold from this basic need to to the next level was not a lot. I was very happy to have a small room in a small dorm where I could just have a bed or something and I just could just work and I could have just enough money to to live a decent life and get decent clothes or whatever. So for me, the threshold wasn't that much. And I believe everyone has this different. I mean, you can make a lot of money and so call it basic needs and say, oh, I need like a four room apartment and that's my basic need. So I think everyone has a different standard. And I think then you can really think about, about impact, right? You first need to focus on getting the basic needs right. And as soon as I got that, I started thinking about impact and I started thinking about, oh, when can I found, right? Yeah, exactly. We have one question that our previous guest has left for you. We have this tradition where each guest leaves a question for the next one. And your question is from Sophie Chung who is the founder of Kino Medical. And her question to you was, what was your darkest moment in life? And more importantly, how did you get out of it? Okay, this is a really hard one actually, <laughs> because it's also very personal. I, I might not be able to describe you like the darkest moment, but maybe a darkest phase in my life. Yeah, in that moment, I really had low self-esteem and it's kind of hard to talk about, but I think there was one moment where I, I absolutely remember like, a grown man just breaking down like I was crying <laughs> in a corner like literally broke down having a mental breakdown and thinking of how helpless and really worthless I am and that was sort of like really really hard for me to get out of but I I mean I couldn't really give up I had a lot of responsibilities a lot of people relying on me the thing is that if you're at your lowest and you're absolutely worthless then the only way is up <laughs> So when I kind of came to terms with it, I was like, okay, I'm worthless, but I'm just going to grow 
and then I can only improve from here. And I first started really by um, analyzing or understanding the root cause why I was in this situation. I analyzed mm-hmm. not the feelings that I was feeling, but really what got me here, <laughs> what were the events or what was the underlying problem. And then I started taking smaller steps to cut the problem from the root, right? And I had to be mentally strong for that. I wanted to give up and not continue, but I had like a strong belief that things will get better. And I got into this phase where I was able to stop or reframe the negative thoughts that I had into gratitude and sort of looking at the positive side of it. And I think that has really helped me turn my life around. And I think the biggest thing that really helped me lift myself up from that moment was actually family and friends. Not acquaintances, but really mean I really mean friends who are actually there for you. And and trust me, like just the people that you you sit down with and the people that you really really believe in you and support you authentically, genuinely, I think you will feel a significant difference in your life. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I think also being able to process it for yourself and then open up to somebody else, be it a friend or a family member, is a big help. To stay with this topic, approximately one in three entrepreneurs suffers from depression or anxiety or some kind of a, a mental problem. And obviously that's a big number and that's quite alarming. But despite that, it's not discussed nearly as frequently as it needs to be discussed. So I'm wondering, now that you've had that experience, as you mentioned, with depression, what are the measures that you take now in your personal life or at work or as a leader to take care of yourself and also take care of your team's mental health as well? From personal experience, I think I felt into depression when I was facing situations that I felt that were out of my control, right? I couldn't really control them no matter how hard I tried and I was just helpless. That really hurt me mentally. But with that experience, I learned that I really analyzed what the problems were and I tried to reach out to people who were there for me, thankfully. But one of the main things that I now practice actively to not fall into that and that spiral again is is really, I don't socially distance myself. So I am the person that draws energy from people. And I have a very small group of friends that I regularly hang out with that have this positive energy or atmosphere around them. And I meet them on a regular basis. So it's just to hang out, no matter how tired I am, no matter what happens, I regularly meet them to stay in check. Some of them are also founders and they sometimes also go through dark times. So we're, we're there for each other. and. I don't compromise on the things that make me happy, right? For example, if, I don't know, if I want to go out, I will go out, right? I think something else that I learned was this prioritization of work. I analyzed where does the stress come from for me at work? And I mean, as a founder, you're doing so many things and the work is never over. So for me, it was really about prioritize what is the most important thing to do in this day. And if you complete that task, then you feel fulfilled. So it doesn't cause unnecessary stress. So you don't feel depressed day in, day out. I don't um, endorse it, but just because I, I love it so much, I, I work quite a lot till like 1 a.m. or something and working on the weekends or whatever. And I do not endorse it, absolutely. But what I do endorse is taking some time off. So if I feel that I'm burning out, I will take some, some time off. And I think this is... I don't know why this is so glamorized in entrepreneurship that, hey, I haven't taken a vacation for so long. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. 
because I want to recharge because I will then give my best to the company. So I will take some time off. So these things I prioritize. I think this really helps me de-stress. Being social, not compromising on things that make me happy, still doing something spontaneously and taking time off, prioritizing my work, and then also try to preach my with my team and understanding what makes them happy, right? I mean, the thing is, like, if they don't deliver, like, a feature or deliver it next week, it's okay with me. But if they're not happy at their work, I think that's, that really affects me. Yeah, thanks for sharing your approach in how to keep your mental health in check. I think it takes quite some effort to unplug and take time and recognize when you need this time and follow through with it, especially as a founder. One question that I would have is based on your talk that you gave at Inspire and Dine, which is a CDTM event. I remember listening to that talk and wondering where did the confidence come from for Avase? Because even your family, as you mentioned, didn't believe that people like you could find found a company, but you somehow powered through and defied all those odds and you did what you did, like you founded a company. So where did the confidence come from? I've learned one thing in my life and I really practice it. I really, really do practice it and I preach it is... Um, always thinking what is the worst that could happen. So at this stage, when I was like, uh, I founded a company and I thought, okay, I'm a failure, whatever, I was in this mindset of everything is shit. At that moment, I really had like, hey, I have nothing to lose at the moment. What is the worst that could happen if I take this opportunity? I have to do something because I have nothing to lose. I have to, I will do everything in my power to get out of this, right? And I told you like this social economic barrier that I had in my mind and which we have in our society as well I try to break out of it I had nothing to lose so I said okay I will try to go to Europe <laughs> I don't have the I got into Tum but I didn't have money for it I was like okay that's a second problem but let's get into Tum first right um, so essentially like just looking at every single avenue I think having this mindset of like the only way is up accepting you're in this problem being content with what you have at the moment, constantly doing a self-reflection and saying, okay, I'm going to improve myself slowly and having this mindset of like, hey, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to try everything in my in my power to actually get out of this. I think that, that was sort of the, the thing that really gave me confidence. And what would be your advice to someone who is now starting a challenging journey towards entrepreneurship like yourself? In other words, what is the advice that you would give right now to young guys? who was just starting out with a startup? Um, hope, that will be the first thing, because things will definitely get better. And always focus on growth, like how can you improve on a day-to-day basis, right? And we have this strong value at pre-size, like becoming 1% better every day. It's very hard to be 1% better every single day, but the idea is that if you have uh, smaller changes, then eventually you grow quite a lot. So I would really advise Aves to be focused on growth and just not give up. The most important thing that I learned from my previous experience in all of this this journey was being able to embrace failure and understanding that failure is not a bad thing. So I would really advise Abes at a younger age to be fine with failure. Thanks a lot. I think that's a great message, not just for young Abes, but also everyone else, especially young entrepreneurs who would be listening to this episode. 
And now we would like to move to our last block, which is our toolbox. What is the book that everybody should read? So I'm reading a lot of these management books these days because I would like to be a better manager. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I'm reading this book called Radical Candor um, by Kim Scott. So it really talks about compassion and how to be a good manager and how to sort of say what you want to say and not like hide your feelings or whatever and think that this is going to be better. So this is something that I would, I could recommend. What is the app that everybody should download? Um, the, and one of the apps that I use on a regular basis is Blinkist, right? I mean, it gives you good summaries, but it uh, helps you filter out books that you want to read, right? What is the podcast you love listening to? Actually, mostly awesome. Why not? Of that, course. That goes without <laughs> saying. But these days, I um, am listening to the Product School podcast. There's an institution called Product School, and they have a podcast where, yeah, they have really good uh, product managers who talk about different um, aspects of product management. Yeah, so I would also recommend that. All right, then our uh, last question would be to ask you to leave a question for our next guest. Uh, so your question can be about anything, uh, like professional life, personal life, whatever question that you would want to leave for the next person, and then we'll make sure that we ask them. Interview and there's a lot of aspiring founders in there um, uh, who say that, hey, I always want to be a founder. And one of the questions that I always like to ask, why do you want to be a leader, right? It's just, if you look at it, it's just so much responsibility. And if you, the most common answers are like, you know, like I want to have impact. I want to lead a team. I want to do that. I want to have a majority say in what the, the thing is being built. But if you really think about it, all of this can be done as an early employee as well. So why do you really want to be a founder? Great question. Thanks a lot. So that would actually be a wrap. Thanks a lot for being our guest and being so open and honest with your answers. I think that's very rare, but also very much appreciated. And also one of the reasons why CityTM keeps inviting you as a guest speaker, because these stories are really amazing to hear, but also very important to be shared. So thanks a lot for that. Thanks for having me. Like I said, I mean, it's an absolute honor. It was very enjoyable to talk to you guys. Thanks for the really hard questions. I enjoyed thinking about them and answering them. Thanks for having me again. This season of the Mostly Awesome podcast is brought to you by CDTM, Center for Digital Technology and Management. This episode is a product of great teamwork, together with Svajit Sakuja, Anne Christine Ga, Yulia Kozlovskaya, and Miriam Schmidt. If you like our podcast and you would like to support our work, please rate us on the platform you are listening on and share episodes with your friends who might be interested in topics we discuss. We'd like to invite inspiring guests with diverse cultural backgrounds to our podcast. Our inbox podcast at cdtm.de is open for warm interest. Thanks for tuning in. See you in two weeks.